welcome to the School of Laughs podcast, brought to you by SchoolofLaughs.com. Whether you're an aspiring comedian, a part-time pro, or a speaker who wants to become funnier, this is the podcast for you. We'll break down tools, tips, and techniques to help you get bigger, better, and more bookable. And now, here's the show. Welcome to the podcast. Rick Roberts here. Hope you're doing well out there, wherever you are, doing whatever you're doing. Hey, today I've got a good, fun guest on the show. It's Dan Bublitz. If you don't know who Dan is, he's got a great podcast called The Art of Bombing, where he gets into the nitty-gritty with different comics who share their stories of uh, failure, but what they've learned through failure so they get better and hopefully don't fail the same way in front of the same type of crowd the next time around. Got a lot of great uh, episodes that he's done. He's up to, I think, 190 episodes or something like that. So, uh, And I'll be on a future episode of his, as well as I was on a past episode of his show, uh, sharing uh, an improv comedy horror story as far as just a bomb that was the epic bomb of all bombs on a New Year's Eve gig at Kellogg Arena in Battle Creek, Michigan. So if you want to hear about one of my epic failures, there's a good place to go get it, the Art of Bombing podcast. I'll link to my episode and some other episodes that he mentions that he thinks everyone should listen to if they want to get a sample of what his podcast is all about. I'll put that in the show notes at schooloflast.com. His podcast has a website, which is Art of Bombing Pod, P-O-D, if you want to go there and check it out. But just a great, fun time today, just talking about what comics go through and about his career, too, as well, and a few other things. So we, we cover quite a bit of ground in this episode, but I think you're going to like it. We'll get to that in just a second. I did want to mention that we do have a class coming up. People have been asking, when will you do the beginning intro to stand-up comedy writing class? And I've got dates for you now. It's April 29th, May 6th, and 13th. Those are all Thursdays. You can go to schooloflast.com, check out more info about that. And before we get going, quick shout out to our Patreon sponsor for this episode, Josh Liston. Josh, also a comedian slash podcaster down under in Australia. Josh, thanks for supporting the podcast and thanks for being a great listener and very helpful over the years with this podcast. All right, let's get into this one, The Art of Bombing with our good friend. Dan Bublitz. So I'm on the podcast today with another podcaster. You may have heard his podcast, The Art of Bombing. Dan Bublitz, how are you doing this afternoon? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Excited to be here. This is uh, one of my, this is a treat because this is one of my favorite uh, comedy how-to podcasts. I'm an avid fan of the show. <laughs> Thank you. We're kind of like the grandpapa, you know, one of the grandpapas of the, the I guess, accessible comedians podcast you know there's some of the big ones like uh, mark Marin's and stuff and they don't they don't get as much into the nuts and bolts of comedy as i like to you know he's got three or four common opinions that he has and then everything else is just a, an interview and i like doing that but i always like getting down to the nitty-gritty so uh, hopefully it's still helpful for the people listening out there well i've been doing comedy for over 10 years and i've gotten a lot of useful information out of this podcast since i've started listening to it and i I gotta admit i was late to the game you know i discovered i think you were maybe just around 100 episodes when i started listening to it and i as soon as i i was like yep and i just like binged it all the way through and now it's now i got i'm like oh man i gotta wait two weeks Well, you know what? And here's here's my question. How bad do you miss Gavin? Everybody that listens to the first hundred is like, oh, man, Gavin's got to come back. And I wish he could, but he's he's moved on down to Arkansas and on to different things. But he was a big part of those first hundred. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Um, I don't know. I feel like 
this is my just me personally. I like the format that you have now, where it's more just a one-on-one conversation and everything, and you don't get. You know, especially with having, because you get a lot more guests and stuff too, where you're getting all these different perspectives. Because you get some really good uh, guests, not just, you know, not necessarily huge celebrity guests, but guests that have been doing comedy for a long time. You know, they know the industry, and that's where you can really get some good, good gold nuggets out of. Like you said, you've been in comedy for 10 years or so. And I guess you sh- we should tell everybody kind of where you're located. And then I want to find out if that's where you started or if you moved there from somewhere else. So I live in St. Paul, Minnesota currently, and I've actually moved around a little bit with comedy. I actually started comedy in South Dakota, uh, and that's always a a mind-blown type of thing for people that are like, comedy in South Dakota? Like, what? And and it actually has a really good comedy scene now in, in and around Sioux Falls and some of the other areas. But I started in South Dakota and... I don't know, maybe a year after, not even a year after I did comedy, I was like, oh, I got to go to California because that's what, that's what you do, right? That's what you do if you're a comedian or Jag Clampett. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, but I ended up in San Diego and I lived there for about five years and then I moved back to the Midwest. Uh, mostly I moved back to the Midwest because I wanted to start working the road more to develop my act because that was one thing I noticed, you know, out in California. There's not a lot of paid stage time, and a lot of the shows are, you know, they're, they're showcase-style shows. And in the Midwest, I was used to going to a show, and it was like a three-person format, you know, or maybe four if there was a guest spot. But it had, you know, very different than out in California. You know, out in California, you might have 10 to 15, maybe 20 comics on a show, you know, and a headliner would do like maybe 15 minutes. So there's not a, even if you get up to that status where you're headlining, you don't, there's not a lot of opportunity to really develop past 15 minutes. So I moved back to the Midwest to, to kind of work on that just cause I wanted to develop. And I've been back now since just about five years now, actually, I just, it's five years exactly that I've been back in the Midwest. So, and uh, yeah, well, I think, I mean, it's true. You got to kind of live where the gigs are to get the stage time, uh, especially out in California or New York City. If you're doing four to six minutes all the time against people who are probably doing their best four to six minutes, they've culminated over years or they've cultivated over years. They're always looking at every single stage opportunity as an audition for something, which is a good mindset to have anyway. But if that, if you're only working on six minutes constantly, then it's hard to grow into yep. getting to those second and third level of, of jokes. You know, I've, I've found for sure that there's material that doesn't work until I'm half, half an hour into my set. And then they know me enough that I can take different chances and go down different roads. But it, I got jokes that I love that I can't do in a six minute set. It just doesn't work. Yep. Yep. That's absolutely true. So you're in a good city now and a good area for comedy. They've got, uh, you know, Minneapolis, that whole area up there has always had a great reputation for good, strong comics, unique comics, good, vo- you know, comedic voices and points of view and those kinds of things. You know, what have you, what have you learned about that city that maybe you didn't know before you moved there? I've only been here for a couple of years now, and unfortunately, what I learned is that this was a bad time to move to a city because <laughs> of the COVID. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I mean, I did know, I knew a handful of the comics and stuff that lived in this area from, you know, just, you know, with social networks. And plus, you know, when I started comedy, I came up here a couple of times before I moved out to California and did some open mics and stuff like that. Um, but it's definitely, it's definitely interesting you know, 
when you live in a bigger city where there's an actual comedy scene and if you're going to like the different open mics and things like that even if you're you know a working comic and you still dabble with that or whatever it always seems like it's like you're going to a new high school when you move from one scene to another and that's how it feels it's like oh man like i'm the new guy now nobody knows who i am uh they just think i'm just some random open micer that's just showing up and you know and it's not necessarily about the you know, having, you know, ego or whatever. And, and and you don't want to be that guy that's like, well, yes, I'm new to this town, but I've been doing comedy for a long time and then list off all the accomplishments you've done over the last 10 years or whatever. So it's just like kind of go with the, <laughs> go with the flow. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's tricky. I guess I've only moved uh, once, you know, I had 10 years or so in Columbus and Ohio and then 21 down here, I guess. So, uh, but I, when I moved here, I was pretty familiar with the people at the club and the local comics. I was working in Nashville four to six weeks a year already. So I kind of felt like I knew enough people to where when I moved that I'd be kind of welcomed a little bit as part of that group. Um, but yeah, moving around multiple times, like if I move somewhere now, I think people would just think, I don't know what they would think. That's some, that's some comedian's dad who's waiting, who's waiting for him to get done. <laughs> Right. Well, and I got spoiled because I moved back to South Dakota. And like I said, South Dakota has a really good comedy scene. You know, they have there's only one comedy club in Sioux Falls, but there's a lot of great local comics there and comics that work the road quite a bit that are based in that area. And we had a good scene and it, you know, you get into some of these bigger scenes and there you, you end up with rivalries and there's little clicks and things of that nature where they were just a good supportive bunch of people. Like we were, the scene was so small. You couldn't, you couldn't afford to have feuds and, and these rivalries, you know, so we're all like trying to help each other. So like when you're not doing comedy, you know, we'd go out and hang out together and, you know, we do events together and we were all buddies outside of comedy then you get into a bigger scene and it's, you know, you're used to having that, like everybody gets along and then you go to a bigger scene. It's like, nope, not everybody gets along. <laughs> yeah. It's very competitive. Obviously the bigger city you go to, the harder it is to kind of work your way into the rotation more or less and get some stage time. And I could easily see where even without your knowledge, somebody could, somebody could tell the rest of the group one opinion about you and that's all they would assume, you know, and, and, they wouldn't even take the chance to get to know you for who you are and those kinds of things. Like you say, it's a lot like like high school moving into different cliques and groups. And it, it, it absolutely is. That's the best way I've found to describe yeah. it. It's like moving to a new high school. So yeah, I guess it, it will come always down to the you know your stage set. If if the show is strong enough, then people uh, will either respect you as a comic or they'll accept you and maybe invite you to come do a couple other gigs and you get to know some people as, as things roll around a little bit. So. Like everything else in comedy, it comes always comes back to your act and how strong it is to, to see what kind of opportunities you move into and those types of things. The um, Now, the comedy scene in Minneapolis, how many clubs is there in, in regular nights to go out in, in normal times? I'll, I'll say that. In normal times, there's, let's see, it, well, there was, I think, like three or four, but you've got Acme Comedy Club, which is one of the top comedy clubs in the country. And then there's also the House of Comedy, Rick Bronson's House of Comedy at the Mall of America. And then uh, there's the Laugh Camp Comedy Club in St. Paul, which is uh, a funny business. You know, they book funny business books, the the Laugh Camp. Uh, and then there was, there was, uh, there's been a couple other like little ones here and there, but I think those are the only three that are really going. 
strong now. There, there used to be a joke joint, but that was even that was before I moved up here. The joke joint. I always like that name. The joke joint. Joke, the joke joint. joint. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a good Tonight, name. The Doobie Brothers. <laughs> yeah, it's great. <laughs> it's a great name. Uh, so yeah, so there's pretty much just three clubs right now, and obviously, uh, Acme and House of Comedy are the two bigger ones. And then there's tons of like independent shows and stuff too. Yeah, and I think those are where you you get your chops down a little bit more. You have a little bit more leeway, a little bit more time, and and in the back of your head, you're not thinking, oh, the manager could walk by or somebody that could potentially book me might be in the room, so I got to abandon my brand new bit and try something in front of them that's a little bit more polished. You know, I always felt yeah. the pressure. To, yeah. You know, the, the open mics at a comedy club, it's great because you should bring in your A game, but I always thought that you should kind of work those jokes out in these other gigs. And then when you come and do your set at the club, you know, unless you're a really, really yep. established person who, you know, nothing's going to ruin your relationship with the club, um, you know, work on that material somewhere else and bring it in. That's, that's how I started out. We had so many open mics. And- no, and that, that's a good point. You know, that's how, cause you, you like Acme comedy club is very intimidating, even like with their open mic. I mean, you get so many comics that come in to sign up for the open mic and, they don't they only have x amount of spots i think they do like 20 spots and they actually break it up where there's so many 3 minute spots then they reserve some 5 minute spots and then they have like 7 minute spots that are kind of reserved i think for like their regulars the people who are regularly emceeing and featuring at the club or whatever so even out of the 20 spots there's not many spots you can get while Pre-COVID times, obviously, uh, it's changed a little bit now with seating and stuff. They still get a good audience, but their open mic would draw a really good audience. So, like, if you got on the on the open mic, it was hard to it's hard to even want to try new material because not only do you have people, you know, the 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 pressure of people from the club being there, you have a full audience there, and it's like you don't want to go and bomb in front of this packed room. <laughs> yeah. Now, tell me about like the temperament of the audience in that neck of the woods. Are they fairly judgmental are they pretty free with what what room they give the comics to explore material is there do you feel like there's a vibe i think it depends i mean obviously in in the upper midwest where we're at you know there there's you know especially when you get outside of the cities there's more of a conservative vibe where you got to be kind of careful you don't want to get you know i feel like you don't want to get too political but then when you get like in the city where it's obviously more liberal and and things like that you know you could probably be more liberal go push things more to the envelope especially at a club like acme versus you know if you're doing some little show outside the city you probably have to kind of watch where you know watch your material in that that regard um it's it's definitely it's definitely more of a conservative area once you get outside of the city. Mm-hmm. So you got to definitely kind of watch that. Like I I and I've even mentioned this while I've been performing. You know, like I have a couple bits. It's not it's a it's a joke about my dad and having to do with you know with guns and stuff. And I you know guns is always a big controversy in the country. And I'm always you know when I I always have to like do like uh, a disclaimer on the mm-hmm. joke where. I'm like, I'm not a political comic. I'm not doing an opinion. Just go with me on this joke, you know, essentially. Just because I know how people are going to react to that kind of thing, especially in this area. Yeah, yeah. I I find sometimes, too, if I've got a political joke coming up in my set, I'll just say, I'm the least political guy in here. I I could care less. You know, the last guy I voted for was Pedro or something. You know, just kind of throw it out. Just to let him know I don't have an agenda. 
but then that, that kind of gives you a little bit of leeway to have multiple points of view, you know, because if you're not hard right, then you can have a joke that is from the hard right, is from the hard left, is concert right down the yep. middle, and you can just kind of explore it and let the audience decide. But I think, yeah, and I know that every side has some blatant uh, flaws that when you bring all all those flaws from all those groups into one joke, people are like, oh yeah, I guess they're all thinking about themselves and they could care less about the people that voted them in. I mean, and that's the case mm-hmm. over the history of time. There's not really been one candidate, I think, that served the people more than they served themselves. No, absolutely not. And, you know, a comedian that I thought did a really good job at, like, really going down the middle. I saw Christopher Titus. He he came through uh, South Dakota a few years ago, and uh, I went because he's, he's always been one of my favorite comics. And he did a lot of political stuff, but he went back and forth. He didn't just – it wasn't just him making fun of one side or the other. You know, he was making fun of pretty much all politics. And – and to see that in action, especially in a very conservative state, in a conservative area, you know, and people were in the crowd laughing. Like, you could see people were like, they tense up at certain parts, and then he'd get to the punchline, and they're like, oh, okay, it, he's making fun of everybody, <laughs> you know? Like, yeah, and he's <laughs> one of my favorites of all time. I got to work with him a couple times uh, down in Miami, and the control he has of the audience is amazing. And this was yep. after his TV show, so a lot more people knew who he was. But, mm-hmm. you know, we worked the first night together, and the second night before the show started, he was he was really cool. He was like, man, my audience loves you. you you're not opinionated in, in an extreme way. You've got stories you can tell. My audience loves stories. I'm a storyteller. And he's like, this was a good matchup, you know. And then I, I kept watching him, and what I really liked about a technical thing that he did that I thought was, was cool, and I don't know if this was the case when you saw him, but he, he wore a lapel mic, didn't have a handheld mic, and when he worked the crowd, he was much more open and able to – just freely roam the stage mm-hmm. and the audience if you wanted to. And I I asked him about that after the, after I noticed. I said, why why don't you go with the handheld? Because a couple of times the wireless would kind of fade in and out, and it wasn't as strong as a signal. And he's like, man, it's all about being vulnerable. You know, there, I don't even have a microphone or a stand between me and the audience. And it just it allows me to be more open and, and to feel more about what they're saying. So I just thought that was an interesting mindset and technical thing rolled into one that he did. And it was more theatrical. He was preparing to do shows in theaters, so he wanted to be the same setup so that he was comfortable with it, too. So all those things rolled into yeah. one. But it just made a clear difference. When I introduced him and he came up, there was there was a noticeable difference before he said anything just with his tech, you know, which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah. And, yeah, because he was actually – it was in a theater when I saw him. So it was very much – yeah, he was probably wearing a lapel because he was very – theatrical i mean he moved around and owned the whole stage and like you said his control of the crowd is just uh just amazing because and you could see too like he, he could tell when he was about to maybe lose part of the audience whether it be people who are conservative or liberal or whatever and then he would like just hold on you know <laughs> essentially i mean he didn't literally say just hold on but he just as well because you know he knew what was coming he's just like Come with me. <laughs> right. And everybody had a good time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, his command of, the, of an audience was, was pretty special. Um, I'm going to talk about your yeah. podcast for a little bit here. I mean, you've, how many episodes are in into this one? I'm, uh, I just released episode, I think, 196. I'm creeping up on episode 200. Oh, man, you're nipping at my and heels. I've been, <laughs> yeah, I've been doing it for uh, four years now. 
Great. So it'll be, well, it'll be four years in May at the end of April, beginning of May. Okay. So, you know, if, if people want to check it out again, it's the art of bombing and you get lots of different comics from different walks of life all over the country, uh, a good range of mm-hmm. comics. That's what I like when I listen. And there's so many great stories they share uh, about bombing and, and bouncing back. And then through those stories, you learn some tips and approaches. So closing in on 200 episodes, have there been a few, um, a few comics? Like if, if we could say, Hey, Let's put these three podcasts in the show notes and have people go listen to these three to get a good feel for the Art of Bombing podcast. Are there a few episodes that stand out to you as, wow, this would be on my must-listen starter kit? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I I know you're going to be on a future episode, but you've also been on the podcast already. Your episode is one of my favorites, and it's, it's one of the fan favorites because there was a lot of great information. You know, I mean, obviously, you've been doing comedy for a long time. You've been teaching a lot of stuff related to comedy and business of comedy, that kind of things. So your episode is a great episode if, for a standalone. Um, one of my personal favorites, I don't remember how much if there's like a lot of gold, but I had Alonzo Bowden on mm. and I was a big fan. So it's I wasn't it wasn't a very good interview on my part because I was kind of a kind of fanboying, you know, like I was very nervous to have him on. Uh, But it ended up still being a good because he knew what he was doing, you know, and that was like way early on when I just, you know, started kind of doing the podcast. Like I hadn't done very many episodes, you know, like so it was I was still new to everything. So that's another favorite one. And then for God, there's just so many like. Every that's the one thing I love about it when I because t- every episode brings something new and a different perspective because I don't you know I'm not just interviewing you know household name comics you know a lot of the comics that I get on I mean they're, they're you know a lot of them are road dogs or you know corporate comics and then some are you know open mics open micers they haven't really even did any real shows you know because I I get that I like that variety where. You know, because I I feel like you get a perspective, different perspectives from different walks of lives, obviously. And I've even had guests on that have only been doing comedy like less than a year. And they told me, you know, what they do to like after a set when they listen back to their audio. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. I need to be doing that, (laughs) you know. So like everything has like a little bit something. But one of my other favorite episodes is uh, a comic from San Diego, Andrew Dean's. Uh, he, his bombing story is probably one of the most epic bombing stories I've ever heard. He, he basically, um, he, he basically walked a crowd of almost a thousand people. (laughs) That's, that was his story at uh, a venue called fourth and B. It was a big venue in San Diego that I don't even think the venue is there anymore, but it was a situation where him and some other comics like promoted a show together and they just packed the place and, he ended up walking most, and there was, and the worst part was there was still another comic after him, so <laughs> he felt really bad. But and that guy yeah. brought all of his t-shirts to sell, and now he has six hundred t-shirts in the lobby, nobody to buy them. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, you know, you mentioned a lot until bold. I listened to that episode uh, when it came out, and or shortly after it came out, when I found out about your podcast. And man, I just wanted to call him up and say, can you do some voiceovers for me? That guy has such a rich voice. Oh, he does. I guess I should ask you this. Like, who's somebody you're going after that, you, man, he'd be perfect for the podcast, or she'd be great, but I just don't have the connection? Because maybe some one of our listeners does. I mean, there's lots of people that I could put in that list. Um, 
I have my favorite comics. I mean, I would love to have somebody like Mark Marin on my podcast, obviously, as because uh, I'm a I've been a big fan of his for a long time too. And I listen to his podcast. I think um, Pete Holmes would be mm-hmm. fun. I feel like he would have a lot of great insight, you know, to share on a podcast like this. And because I'm sure, you know, because his comedies can be a little bit different, you know, he's a little weird and mm-hmm. silly or whatever. That alone puts you, can put you in a lot of tough situations, you know, when you're, yeah, I guess, you know, the alt comedy, I guess, is a way to describe it or whatever. But if you're in like a regular Midwest conservative town and you're doing silly stuff, it, it can be harder. So it gets in, you know, I'm sure he's got some great stories that he could share. You know, I do more traditional material. Most of my material is kind of, you know, about me or whatever my experience is. But when I see comics like that, some of those are my favorite comics because they're it's, they're so brave and so vulnerable, for one, to go and try to cross these lines. And as somebody that's in comedy, and I'm sure you see this too, like, even if you're not a fan of that style of comedy or whatever, you can appreciate what they're doing. You can appreciate the the, the comedy behind what they're doing. When a, when the whole crowd doesn't get it, you know, you're back in the back of the room as a comic watching this and you're like, oh, my God, that's amazing. Why are you people not laughing? Oh, yeah, you're not comedy people. You don't you, you know, you don't you don't see what we're seeing because this is amazing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And on the flip side of that, sometimes I would get mad at the audience for laughing at stuff they were laughing at, you know, even in my own show. <laughs> I would have to pull out some of these jokes that I, I called them my open mic set because some of the jokes were so old, but that was back when I was a little bluer and, and you know, some of the material content yep. wasn't very unique or, and you know, unique at all. And so some of these shows would be like the late show on Friday or Saturday. I would go back to the first set I ever wrote and it would be the best material for that audience the whole night. And I'd just be shaking my head going, you guys don't know what comedy yep. is. Oh, Not that I knew yeah. much better. I've definitely had that. <clears throat> to with a couple jokes i especially the ones where you know when you spend a lot of time writing and you, you try to make like an intricate bit and you just can't get it to work you know there's a lot of like storytelling and you're trying to punch it up and you put all this work and effort into it and you you know you just can't quite get it to where it needs to be but you love it and it's hard to let go and then you just have a random thought and you come up with this silly one-liner and you say that on stage sometime and it gets a bigger laugh than anything you've ever done. I'm just like, oh, so frustrating. <laughs> yeah, it can be really easy to fall in love with a joke on paper and then get it on stage and hate it the same day, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Ain't that for sure. <laughs> I'll definitely, I'm like, you. I'll try to write it as intricate and as technical and all these things as I can. But I, I've learned over the years not to try to memorize too long of a new bit without trying it first and just doing a very small version of it to see if the idea catches mm-hmm. on. Because it could be the stuff in the second or third minute of something that you wrote down is really great, but if they don't understand the, the setup very clearly, it doesn't make any sense to go any further. So I've I've definitely taken longer bits. You know, I might write a whole page on something on paper and just, what are my best two lines and see if this works at all, and then then come back. Yep. So you learn, you learn yeah, as you go. Yeah, and then build off that. That's that's a really good, uh, really good technique to build off that. Yeah, and the audience too will sometimes interject something or come up after the show and go, "Oh man!" Like I, I did a set a few weeks ago, and I have was talking about the uh, the vaccines and that if we want all of Americans to get on board, we should make it edible and just put it in food we're already eating. You know, let McDonald's distribute it because they've got the most locations in the drive-through, and so you could get the, mm-hmm. yep. the Moderna McMuffin, you know, or the Pfizer fries. 
And then somebody came up after the show go, man, you say Johnson and Johnson Jamba Juice. I'm like, perfect. I'll throw that in there. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. And he wasn't a comedian at all. He's just some guy that you know liked the show and came up afterwards. So, you know. That's great. Yeah, it was, it was great. It was just, and I tried it the next show and it worked fine, you know, so. Yeah. You never know. There's one more That's laugh awesome. you didn't even think of, and it was the rule of three, yep. and it capped it off really nice. That's nice. Yeah, I yeah, that was. I think you had that because you did that as your taping too, right? Mm-hmm. Yep, yeah, because I'm yeah. I, the the last two episodes you did of the podcast were really good because you were breaking down that TV set that you did that taping. That was yeah, good joke. Uh, yeah, it's it's amazing too because I was surprised with that. Your, what your process for that? A lot of your stuff was very relevant to what's going on now, which I I that to me, I I, I don't know. I draw. I I don't. I it, it's a weird thing to try to write that. I don't know to be too heavy on the what's going on right now because it's too real for people. Mm-hmm. But I thought you did a really good job with the jokes that you'd chosen for that with that where it was. Sure, it's stuff that's going on, but it was super funny. Thank you. I want people to check out your podcast for sure. So um, it's it's everywhere. You know, everywhere I look, it's there. Anywhere that they can get School of Laughs, they can find it. Um, Tell them a little bit more about The Art of Bombing and the date it drops and those kinds of things. I do have a website, artofbombingpod.com. You can find it there. Um, Drops every Tuesday. I try to be as consistent as I can. So it's Tuesdays is the day. And yeah, if you're a comedy fan, it's great because of the stories that comics tell. And, you know, because some of the greatest stories of comedy are from the worst gigs. They At the time, they don't feel like they're great, but down the road, we can laugh at them. So it's always great stories about the situations comics have been in, working the road. And if you're, try, you know, a stand-up comic or trying to get better stand-up comedy, there's so many things that get pulled, you know, a lot of gold nuggets that come out of these conversations i learn something new almost every week talking to different people um but i think the greatest lesson that i learned and if you're a stand-up comic this is if you don't listen to this for any other reason this should be the list the reason is because you're going to find out you're not the only person that bombs everybody does it's part of the process and if you're bombing you're doing it right uh and that's one of that that's my biggest takeaway that i've i've learned you know because when I started the podcast, I felt like I was bombing all the time and, and or I'd have the times when I would bomb and I felt like it was only me. I felt like I was alone and maybe I wasn't good at comedy and I wasn't doing something right and just trying to figure it out. And then as I did this podcast, I learned that, no, you need to bomb. That's part of the process. So, um, so yeah, that's – if anything, listen to it for that just so you know you're not alone. <laughs> yeah, and if, if – if no other time, download a few so when you, you just bombed on stage, you can listen to it on the way home and hear somebody else that went through it just as bad as you did. <laughs> Compare Yeah, that. so you can relate or feel better because maybe maybe their bomb was worse than yours. Yeah. And it probably, I'm, I'm sure we can outbomb each other. We'll see how it goes. Oh, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, Dan, I appreciate you joining me today. And uh, thanks again for listening to the podcast over the years and having me on before and Again, I will link to a new episode with with me on Dan's podcast here. It's going to release him pretty soon. So thanks a lot. Thank you.
Hope you enjoyed that episode with Dan Bublitz. You can find out more about his podcast, artofbombingpod.com. That's right. It's got all of his links, his socials, and the good stuff on there. So shoot him a message. Let him know you enjoyed this episode and subscribe to his podcast. Trust me, there's some great episodes on there. The ones he mentioned as well as my episode in the past and my upcoming episode will be in the show notes at schooloflast.com. Thanks again, everybody. Don't forget we got that new class intro to comedy writing it's uh april 29 may 6 and the 13th that's a level one stand-up class and uh you can find out more about that at schooloflast.com all right talk soon take care stay safe stay 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 good boy funny thanks for listening to the school of laughs podcast if you'd like to hear more School of Last podcasts, you can find them on iTunes and Stitcher.com. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. For information on upcoming live and online classes, visit SchoolofLabs.com. Until next time, stay tuned, stay focused, and stay funny.